everyone, welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a graduate student in education, and with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. Aging is something we all experience, yet the experience is different for everyone. All you need to do is ask someone how old they are, and you are bound to get a myriad of responses. <laughs> While we have a fairly firm grasp on what happens physiologically as we age, beyond this, science really gives way to philosophy. Today, we look at questions concerning the passage of time and appreciate you giving us some of yours. <laughs> All right, so um, we finished up temporarily our series on um, on gods and goddesses. <laughs> We've talked about it. We'll probably revisit that in the future um, and, you know, kind of um, maybe interject one here or there as it seems appropriate. Um but for now, we're going to head on to something different, and we're going to talk about aging, which is um, a, kind of an interesting topic. So why don't we jump in? What What is aging? What is the definition we can, we can get for it? Well, I think we have to work with two, and they're not necessarily dissimilar or disconnected, but I think we often think about physical aging uh, but then there's uh, well, there are many. There's the, the the most visible is the physical aging. Um, the, perhaps the most painful is the mental aging when it goes into very grim places. Um, and then there's the one you can't measure at all, which is really all the um, internal, the, the spiritual aging, the which is not necessarily mental. So I think there are three levels, really. There, there are, and, and some people would would just discount the spiritual altogether, and that's fine. But I, I think physical, mental, spiritual. Yeah, and I, I pretty much came to the same conclusion. So right away, we're going to get a little bit, little bit mystical here at the beginning, because <laughs> um, like we said, well, physiological is the most apparent, and we'll probably cover that, you know, as we go along. Um, and there's psychological changes that occur as well. Um, but you're right. There's definitely, there's undeniably sort of an intangible element to it because, all right, your psychological and um, mental faculties change as you age, but that doesn't really account for um, a change in behavior, you know, to some extent. It almost seems to me if you add up changes in hormones, changes in brain structure and neuronal connections, all this stuff, you still wouldn't get to... Um, the kind of subjective experiences you have as you age. To me, there's, um, in, in, the best way I can sort of describe it is as an accumulation over the lifespan. Mm -hmm. To me, that's, that's the, really the, the defining aspect of aging. It's not a, it's not the physical part of it, but it's this accumulation of experiences that end up changing who you are really. Yes. And you said that very well. And that's, and that, uh, has an, there's a, a frame for that that I think affects aging too, and so we can bring that into to pull this into a, a context. There, there's the social expectation, um, there's cultural expectation, which is vastly different from one society to another. We'd like to think that we're the model and so on, but but we often put people um, into boxes 
before we literally do. <laughs> long, long um, before we, well, you're 50. X is what you're supposed to be. Well, now you're 60. You shouldn't be doing this or that. Or now you're 65, and therefore this happens. Or, And having had some recent experience with the expectation of what one does at a certain time, um, I find it inglorious in, in um, and uh, uh, people who bloviate about what you're supposed to be at a certain age in life really aren't paying attention to what they are in life, I think. it's um, So, yeah, the accumulation, as with any accumulation, if you're Midas and you accumulate rooms full of, of gold and all you do is count them, those gold pieces, and you're doing nothing, then you're pretty much going to go to Moss. Mm-hmm. Uh, if 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 you stop accumulating that gold and say, I'm going to help you over here, what do you need? How can I be? Da, 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 da? That, of course, Midas wouldn't do that. Midas would touch and turn to gold and put it in his, <laughs> in his collecting room. Yeah, and, and you know, there's sort of an, an anecdotal trend. And I, I feel like I remember seeing... Um, a research study a while back, but I'm not going to attribute anything to that because I remember so few details of it. But anecdotally, we all see as people get older, um, there tends to be kind of two stereotypes of older people, right? There's kind of the crotchety old person that's telling kids to get off their lawn. (laughs) And then there's the nice old lady that's handing out candy, right? And I think that a lot of that has to do with that perspective the the initial perspective and then the accumulation right it's kind of like a snowball you know what you you start with something and then as it rolls downhill it, it there's become momentum forms behind it and i think mm-hmm. a lot of that stems back to um childhood early adulthood and throughout where you start your perspective on life and the experiences that you're having kind of inform to a greater extent the sort of person you're going to be later in life and how you're going to view humanity and the aging process and all these mm-hmm. other things mm-hmm. in general. When you see, when you see, and this is all in individualized, because it's, it's like nobody can tell anybody else how to have a marriage because every marriage has its own, is, is unique, really. I, I think the same thing is true of your experience of age when you're young. If you, uh, I had um, some extraordinarily dark experiences of aging when I was young because my uh, uh, grandparents who were one one was gone when I was two and then uh, two deteriorated over a a handful of years Um, so I was just watching my mother nurse them as much as she could and then they were gone and one after the next after the next um, and and you you make mental notes to yourself as a kid, even though you don't realize that you are. I'm not doing it this way. I know, no, mm-hmm. you know. I'd, and then as you get older, you begin to make mental notes uh, much more. I, I think uh, assertively um, when you see how people are approaching whatever's happening next in their lives, and you say, "Nope, not that way." Yeah, there's a really fine model. That's mm-hmm. all. It's not like you can. Uh, live that path, but you can uh, internalize. If someone is is being graceful, you look at that and say, yeah, when I get to be 82, I'd like to be graceful too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. I mean, that's a really good, um, that's a, that's a really interesting way of putting it. And I think what you highlighted there is that 
like you said, everybody has that sort of subjective experience of aging. And mine was, mine was probably the opposite of yours because, you know, growing up, um, I had all of my grandparents, um, until my mid twenties or late twenties. And they had kids pretty late in their life. When my grandpa, um, died, my first grandpa died. He was almost 81. And then my next grandpa died and he was 90. Hmm. And then my grandma died and she was 93. But so, you know, nobody died until I was in my mid twenties. And so my perspective on aging up until that point was pretty positive. I had relationships with these people. Um, they were healthy. Uh, and I thought, you know what, being old is going to be all right. Cause I see these people who are old and, and it's, it's all right, you know? And then they all died in a very short, um, time frame. Um, you know, and then on, you know, on top of that, you know, I'm seeing, um, younger people in my family having health issues and things. And that, you know, that gets you to re-examine your perspective on aging a little bit, right? Because what do you realize is, okay, well, like you were just saying, you're seeing people who aged gracefully and some people who died some ways and some people who died other ways. And, um, like you said, you don't have any control over any of that or very minimal, you know, you can, you can, you can do some lifestyle things. Um, but really what I've found personally is I think that in the end, um, focusing too much on the lifestyle things can actually create, um, an even bigger host of psychological issues. Yeah than the the overall benefits you may be um getting in the end you know so you know i i think that it's good to go by you know the paradigm of you know you should be doing your best um while still you know living your life you remind you me know. of that wonderful philosopher meryl streep <laughs> 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 no i, I, re, I remember a, 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 a a statement she made in some interview where she said we concentrate too much on what our skin looks like and what our weight is instead of what are we doing with our hands and our minds and our hearts in the time that we have mm-hmm. and i think that's marvelous yeah you know it, it's it's and and it's easy for anyone to say of course and we none of us ever really accomplishes it to the degree perhaps that we would would like to but um there is a joy not in the physical aging i mean if you feel your bones aching you know you 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 uh, you brush uh, paint a house all day and you know your hands ache at the end of the day okay that didn't used to happen but okay i'll find a way to just go, go keep going with that but but if i i don't know i i I, this is way too personal, I suppose, but I, I was telling somebody last night about this. Having um, a grandchild um, who I'm having these marvelous experiences every day with because I'm watching her each day. But watching isn't the right word. I'm I'm interacting with her. I'm teaching with her. We're walking through life together. And, and, I, and I know that for these first years, she's not going to remember any of this. I have this incredible, just every single day I go home and she did this and she did that. And we talked about this and, well, she, you know, proto-sentences, she's not two yet, but, but we talk. Okay. Um, and it doesn't matter. Right? It, I, I, the, the realization for me has been that it doesn't matter that she won't remember this. 
what matters is that we're having this this time each day right now. And I don't know that I would have said that had I been 42 and a grandfather, and some people are much younger. Um, but I, but I'm still not so ancient that I can't, you know, run when she wants to run. Of course, she'll outstrip me, but <laughs> and or or climb when she wants to climb. So we, uh, I think all that goes to say is that that this it's what Mark Twain says. Mark Twain says that uh, said that um, you grow old when you no longer learn, and as long as you're learning, you are young in the most important ways. Hmm. So it's not denying the physical, um, and, and you can't, you're right. You can't, if you get a disease other than uh, some of the superficial lifestyle things, then, then you get the disease. Uh, sooner or later things happen. Um, and one hopes they happen gently, but who, you know, nobody, there's no, you can't know that, but how you go through the day it's really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, aging and disease are kind of inextricably intertwined. Yeah. Um, you know, aging is the number one risk factor for um, death and disease, which sounds sort of weird because, like you, like you, <laughs> like I just said, they're inextricably intertwined. So you think yeah. of one and the other. Well, if you're going to, you know, you're going to die eventually from yes. aging. Well, you don't die from aging. You no. die from diseases. Yes. Um, but again, that those diseases are an accumulation, a physical accumulation of, of aging. So it's funny because, you know, we've talked about some, the psychological or the spiritual accumulations can be positive or negative, but the physical accumulations are negative. Yeah, you know, there's not really any way around it, you know, no matter which way you look at it. Um, Here's an example. Here, you're right. Here's an example. So I, I don't think he'd mind me saying this because my father tells stories all the time. But he, he too, is 82. He's a different 82 than my friend in Florida, hmm. who's also 82, who I discuss plays with each week. Um, but both in their own ways are just, you know, I, I want to be like that, you know, mostly. Uh, and... But Dad was uh, he's, was a mechanic his whole life. He valued his head. He's still strong. I see him doing things, but he was really not happy with himself a week ago when uh, I was over helping my brother uh, move a piece of furniture in our house, and then or the old house, and then and we came back to find my father looking at um, his car, sitting on a, a small bench outside, looking at a flat tire. And he was upset that he couldn't get that tire off as simply as he would have liked to have done. He said, I guess I'm really getting old. And I, and I, you know, I was trying to be my humorous <laughs> self. I said, well, of course you're old. I mean, how old do you have to be before you're old? But that's just your year, Dad. That doesn't mean there are things you can do and there are things you can't do, but that doesn't define who you are. Mm. Yeah, and that's the interesting part about the aging process, right, is that in modern times, you know, probably as soon as we could um, determine how long it takes the earth to go around the sun, we started defining ourselves in those terms yeah, the, the, the of these numbers, thing. right? Yes, yes. Before that, it was probably, you know, it's probably very much a functional thing, right? So, and I think that that one is much more visceral and, um, you know, compelling mm-hmm. because, 
you know, the ability to do things or to not do things you used to be able to do, that hits much harder than, than a number, you know, right? So yes. I'm by no means old, right? I, I turned 32. <laughs> so yeah, not no old, means. not old no. at all. Now, if you look at scientific literature regarding aging, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on the downswing, right? Almost everything kind of goes up, you know, until various different points, depending on whether you're looking at um, hormones or muscle mass or intelligence or all of these things peak at different times. Yes. But generally, it's somewhere between 18 and 35-ish. And then after 35-ish, everything starts to go downhill at varying speeds, a little bit at a time or dropping off quite a bit at a time, so on and so forth. Well, I'm not old. Um, but still, I've reached the point where sometimes I can't do certain things that I used to. And these are at the extreme ends. So if I go out this this summer, right, I go out and I'm going down to the track every Thursday and running sprint as fast as I can. So, you know, if I'm running long distance runs, I think to myself, okay, my times are increasing, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm running faster mile times than I was when I was younger. Well, that's encouraging. But sprinting, like an all-out exertion, all of a sudden I'm realizing, ooh, I feel kind of slow. And then after a couple of weeks, I, I developed like this tendonitis in my <laughs> IT band. And all of a sudden I'm like, now I have to take a few weeks off to get better. And, you know, yeah, yeah. and the same thing with weightlifting. You know, okay, well, if I'm doing 10 reps of things, I'm, I'm okay. But if I try to do a max rep of something, it's, it's not as high as it used to be. And then I start having shoulder pains and stuff. <laughs> so, again, it's not – these – you know, these are problems that can probably be attributed to the aging process, even though I'm by no means complaining or saying I'm old. Right. There's things that, okay, this wouldn't happen 10 years ago, right? <laughs> Psychologically, that's much harder to accept than being 32 versus 22. The numbers are a rather meaningless thing. Some, and yeah. I, not for everybody. Some people put much, way too much stock into the numbers. They, they do. But um, they do, and 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 you're it. It is hard, and that's why I wasn't mocking my dad. I was trying to keep it light because I see him doing so many other things, mm -hmm, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I I know when I'm moving a ladder around on a house, and yeah, I don't move it quite as easily uh, as I used to. And a little bit of time when I won't be able to move that ladder on my own, and we we put so much. Oh, so much importance in that because of the independence and we get afraid that if that what else what else can i do myself because after a certain point if there's things you can't do by yourself then is somebody going to try to right put you in a different space than you want to live in well that's that's a cultural thing it doesn't have to happen but we make that happen and so it's a context again yeah it's kind of a dark comical element because mm -hmm. like you're saying you're not you're not making fun of your dad what you're saying is Okay, well, you've you've lost the ability to do this thing, but this thing is relatively minor in the grand scheme of life. You're yes. still doing quite well. You're visiting the your same way that you're exercising, right? right. <laughs> and so the same thing happens to me, right? Like I'm sitting there feeling all down about having some tendonitis in my IT band. When in reality, I'm an extremely healthy young yes. guy who can do all kinds of things. Yes. So it's comical that we put so much emphasis onto these little things, but at the same time, there is that element of projecting into the future and becoming a little bit worried about what what it means because we all know what it means you know we have various fuses but there's a time bomb at the end for all of us there there is and but what what you're on to i think the 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 uh, where we should 
the thinking all of us about this is so yes your it band hurts your shoulder hurts but that but there are there are ways that you address that and and there are other physical things that you can do it doesn't Yes, we, you're, there are uh, limits to one's capacity. If this were a video game and you were a character and all those little numbers about what the character is able to lift and the character is mm-hmm. able to do, and that's going to change if, if we're in a video game, our, our character's numbers are going to change. But look at the, 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 the 70 and the 80 and one of, that I'm aware of, 90-year-old who runs marathons. Now, they're not going to win the marathon uh, at the level that the 30-year-old is, who's not going to win at the level that the 18-year-old mm-hmm. pro- probably would, but they're out there doing that. And and so so what if I can't lift a ladder? That doesn't define myself. If I can't ask somebody else for a, to help with a ladder or hire somebody to do something that I can't do, Unless I stop, put myself on a couch, which so many people think retirement is, mm. they'd like to think, ah, now I get to stop. I don't, I don't think anybody who's really involved in life decides to stop. Mm. I can't imagine yeah. sitting on a couch all day. Oh, my Lord. Uh, so, so, so what if I you can't run the same way you can't do as many reps, but maybe you do other kinds of physical things that you wouldn't have been, or or you're better at it than you would have been before. Yeah, it's an adaptability thing, right? We're going to have these issues, but I think what defines successful aging is people um, yeah. realizing yeah, realizing their physical limitations. So you know, it would be foolish of me to say, "Oh, well, no, when I was younger." I could run this fast, so I'm going to keep trying and then keep making my problem worse. It would also be foolish of me to say, well, I can't run as fast as I used to, so there's no point in running anymore, right? That's right. So I think healthy aging is is finding that balance of accepting, like you said, accepting you have limitations, accepting the fact that you're going to die. Aging is synonymous, is part of that process. So you're going to have things that are going to degrade over time. But you can still find ways to um, healthily pursue um, things that promote those. Philosophically, and I, I don't mean this in any academic sense, it, it means more. I think, I think this is true. I, I'm, I'm not asserting that things have more meaning to me than to you at all. That's not what I'm saying when I say it means more. I think one becomes, because I'm 62. So I've always had this, you know, I've, 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 this is why it's so wonderful to have friends of all ages in one's life, because you see how it's going for many people, and not just in your family, but people that you really associate with. So 82, I've got somebody as important to me as 72. I'm 62. It's not like the two thing, but it's just <laughs> uh, one of my my best friends from college, who's, who's uh, a, he's a brother. He's really, he, we call each other that. He lives in Texas. He's uh, 53. And then down it, it goes. And this is what I enjoyed about uh, teaching, was that I got to keep encountering people in their teens and, and early 20s. Yes, I wanted to mess with their minds so their minds got stronger. Yes, I was in, in, enjoying that, that interaction. But I was also enjoying having the getting pushback 
Mm. Right, because that's where the thinking goes on. That's where the, the, the staying young. That's where the learning. But someone asks, "Have you heard this song?" No. If I were truly old, I'd say, why do I want to listen to that song? I got my own music. I don't. Yeah. No, tell me what that. And sometimes I remember students would laugh because I'd I'd listen to a song. I'd come back into class the next day and say, "X groups. Wow, they're they're really interesting." Tee hee tee hee. They're all giggling. Why? Because the old guys enjoy the music. I'm not taking over your music. You told me to listen. I listened. It's interesting. Here's why. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of. I I read a, a funny little article in the in the news. I think it was last week talking about um the way um the generation z perceives millennials you know it was funny because they they had quotes from um you know kids talking about how they perceive people in their late 20s you know to late early you know early 40s said you know yeah they're they're doing they're doing the whole you know, back in my day thing, and they're not even old. And, you know, they're saying that all of our music sucks, but, you know, their stuff is this. And, and it was funny, you know, some of it made me laugh, and some of it hit a little bit close to home, you know, it's kind of like, but, but that's the kind of experience you need, right? If I, if I looked at all those quotes and said, oh, well, these are just all a bunch of stupid kids, well, then you're kind of set in your ways and how your thinking is going to progress. But some of it, you know, you look at it and you think, Okay, well, I don't do that, and I'm I'm glad. And then other things, well, I do do that, and that makes me uncomfortable with how I am perceiving things. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to change the way I think about that. You know? And that's the difference between aging and age. Mm-hmm. So you you said we we're going to talk about those things. I think that's the essential difference because one suggests a process, which is a uh, an interaction, a rethinking, a resetting, and 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 on. You know, before we were recording, we were having discussions. It's this is why I think it is so important for parents to have uh, kids, and then adult children. Who the kids become the adult children? You call them kids, but they're your adult children who push you who challenge something that you've said, who don't let it, uh, you know, don't always let it be that declaration by dad. And I've spent a lifetime doing that to my own father. So now it's coming back. To, you know, and, and I, and I, I so, I know I don't sometimes seem that way. Probably I probably look like I'm setting my teeth, but it's only, that's my problem. That's not, it's, I so appreciate my, Son and daughter, and 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 even her gentle way, my daughter-in-law, sometimes will just cause me, whatever way they do it, to rethink something, um, or my young friends, or or my old friends. You know, it, it, if we stop being willing to rethink, whether it's politically, socially, philosophically, spiritually, whatever it is, then then we might as well just stop and close the pub. Mm. Yeah, and this is a really interesting um, sort of example of the importance of language, right? Because we're getting into a really complex thing happening where you look at age and aging, and in physical terms, there's a correlation. But when we're talking about the psychological or the maturational aspect of it, age and aging don't really um, correlate, right? So, you know... I can definitely think of people off the top of my head who, you know, people who were, I was friends with when I was a teenager and now we're both 32 
but their mindset is very much the same as it was back then. Yeah. And so the age has changed, but the aging, the psychological aging really hasn't changed much. Um, yeah. So yeah, the language of it is kind the of... The language um, of it is fair. Well, and this is why poetry, I think poetry is so, so vital because it's accessible more often than not. If you find that uh, you can find the poets who are, but the, uh, Ursula Le Guin comes to mind, one of the most powerful writers I've ever encountered, and uh, wrote um, poetry about aging. Billy Collins, one of our uh, you know, poet laureates, and he's still writing poetry about aging. At certain certain points, people, you know, they say, okay, yeah, sixty two. Uh, 83 whatever it is and they sort of say okay let's let's write poetry the poetry is not the poetry of a 20 year old it's not the poetry of a middle-aged person it's uh, here's what the view is but it's a lively thing um you know my, uh, we've talked about these kind of things before but but the art i am I, I am more alive now because of my art because of what i've been learning from my art lessons because i've been freed up to make my own expressions because of the the people who uh, i i work with as models because of so many things that just makes one re-see everything. You can't, you sit in a room and you're looking at things all the time. So there's not a Zen disattachment from things. Mm. It's almost the opposite. Right. You know, I, I look at the item that you have on the wall and suddenly I see a story and I'm sitting here looking at this, uh, your, your, uh, your wife's grandmother. Mm-hmm. This miniature painting that you have right through, so I glance from the mic and I'm looking at this, and that there is a tunnel to a golden spot, and it is a marvelous artistic rendering of aging. Hmm. I think hills, valleys, dills, trees, rills, but way in the distance, this light green, perhaps vertiginous mountain, but it's so far away. Um, and it's inviting, and um, and that's how it feels. You know, if you're really ill, no, it doesn't feel good, and nobody's going to baloney you and, and say, well, you know, and people shouldn't poke at people and say, come on, smile, even though you're dying, or something like that. It's ridiculous. But, but I think that up into the moment, and even for people sometimes going into that moment, there's still a grace. And there's a, if, if, if right up to that last moment, you still want to hear somebody's voice, you still want to see something fresh. Mm. You, uh, I, I think you're fully alive. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's really interesting i again i think that because we get hung up on the numbers so much we we fail to look at the actual process itself because it's so easy and it's so human to just um have discrete digitized (laughs) you know numbers and have certain things that fit into those numbers this is what happens at x number yeah yeah because that way we can just do it oh okay so i'll put my mind onto it yeah, we have an expectation, and for humans, it's very important to have expectations. You know, <laughs> that that are just constantly upended. It almost things almost never turn out the way that you expected. Let's but, see, this past nine months, never mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so trying to project throughout the rest, you're like, oh, okay, this is what it's going to be like. It's just ridiculous. But mm-hmm. all right, so let's let's come back to the core of it a little bit. Um, 
why do we age? So we've discussed some of the things that happen. Why do you think they happen? Are you talking the, the let's physical? Start, yeah, the, let's start physical. So there's kind of two. There's two camps. There's programmatic aging, and there's um. Oh, shoot, what's the other one? Well, one's called one's called the natural and philosophy. One's the naturalist view. One's the constructivist view. And, and, okay. and the yeah, tell us, view was, tell us a little bit about it. So the naturalist view, the, 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 I always generalize too much, but it's essentially it's that your body changes as you grow older. And the constructivist view is you uh, set those expectations for what those changes need to mean. We construct what the meaning of the body's changes ought to or seem to uh, need to mean. Hmm. So, yes, we, well, our cells, I mean, I'm not a physiologist. I wonder what happens to our our fingers get a little more crinkly. We grow for more wrinkles. We get a little saggy. We <laughs> well, that's 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 where I was going with it. Is there's, there's two camps um, in physiology where they the one is programmatic aging. I can't remember the name of the other group, but it's um it essentially has to do with damage. It's like a damage theory. So. Okay. Scientists and they're not sure, which it puts it in philosophy's realm, right? They're not sure which one is true or whatnot, but some cells are programmed to die or to age. Mm -hmm. So the question is, is aging and death programmed into our body or is aging and death caused by damage from UV radiation yeah. and other yeah. environmental factors? Um, do you have an opinion on that? I do. I think that it's a combination <laughs> i i from what we do okay so as a lay person lay science reader our cells seem to have timers to put it really roughly um which might be genetically alterable um eventually um so the timer is turned off or or there's a regenerative um, uh, the process, uh, maybe who, or we have the technological answer and inject ourselves with nanites, and and they eat through the plaque, and they and they remove the cells that are bad and try to grow new cells. I, I you know, I. So now we're finally getting into the 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 fun science the science, <laughs> science fiction part of the conversation. So um, <laughs> that's where you wanted to go. Yeah, yeah. So we have this this idea right okay some cells are programmed to die we know that yeah we also know that uv radiation can cause damage and 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 the foods that we eat or the plastics mm -hmm. we expose ourselves right. to and all those environmental things so there's environmental factors there's also physiological factors um so looking at it and thinking about you know, our telomeres are kind of the fuse to the time bomb, mm -hmm. right? So you have your DNA, you have your telomeres. Your telomeres grow shorter as you die, or, you know, as you age, and then eventually, once they're gone, damage will, will destroy the cells themselves. So like you were, you were alluding to, they've, they've come up with ways to stop telomere um, or to slow damage, or, you know, even to lengthen them and do those sorts of things. 
and they've done this in, in mice and things and have created, you know, tripled their lifespan, that sort of stuff. So now we're in the sci-fi part of the discussion. Do you think (laughs) humans can achieve immortality? Oh, I, I think that I've thought about this a lot. Why? Because of all the pop cultural joy, the reading of science fiction, the philosophy. I, I think that that's depends on what one, how one defines immortality. Cause it's such an easy word that we all fling around. Right. And our, even our own stories should teach us things about this. I, I'm going to start I, Marvel, <laughs> right? Thor, Odin. Anthony Hopkins plays Odin. He's an old guy. Right? <laughs> Odin's about three or four times as old as Thor. Thor is, what, 15, 1,800 years old. But we got this strapping guy playing him until he gets a bit of a beer gut because he's going through PTSD. Mm-hmm. And But still. But they're gods. But they're still able to be ended. Mm-hmm. Um, look at going back to our Greek mythology. Uh, we see renderings of but when we read the stories, even if we didn't see the art, we get this idea that Zeus is still pretty vital. Mm-hmm. He's maybe a middle-aged kind of guy. Yeah, it's uh, like it's, Arnold Schwarzenegger with Jeff Bridges' face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So, so as we render this, I think we limit our own renderings of it because of the very nature of our physical beings. Being immortal, yeah, middle age. No, wait a minute. I'm a kid. I want to be immortal. I want to have the body of an 18 year old, right? But, but, uh, or we do the the classic. Oh, God is the old guy with the beard. Why? Because he's been around forever. So we got to have a beard. Who says he's got to have a beard? So we we can't get past our own physical uh, experience to visualize what immortality might be. So then we go to the science fiction and say, well, what if I could extend my life as it is right now? But we find the technology and we can afford it and whatever. All right. So the question really becomes, do I want to be 62 the rest of my days? Well, do I want to be less decrepit than I will be when if I get to be 92? Um, that's pretty compelling. Uh, do I want to stay around forever? Um, I don't think so. Um and, and this is rather this is almost meme like in its in its triteness because it's been said so many times by so many people. But I think the very fact of our mortality, albeit an extended mortality, or how about a mortality in which you really are healthy until the telomere fuse goes pop and that slow motion time bomb happens? Maybe it'll be a fast time bomb. Hmm. Here one moment, gone the next, but gee, vital up until that moment. I think that's the best we can hope for. Yeah. The thought experiment on it is kind of interesting because, and it's not just a thought experiment. They've done some of this in the lab with animals, fruit flies, um, even yep. rats, that yep. sort of thing. Um, reverse Reversing aging. So, right, let's say, you know, it'd be one thing if they could stop aging and then you're stuck at the age that you are when they invent that technology. That's one thing. Let's say they come up with a way to reverse aging. Mm-hmm. And so they come up with a way to reverse aging. And that one's hypothetical. This one is real. They can actually look at your cells and say chronologically how old your cells are. Mm-hmm. So I might be 32, but if I'm in good shape, they can look at this and say, okay, you have cells that are the cells of a 26 year old, yeah. right? Yeah. If they figure out a way to reverse aging, how far do you think it reverses? 
<laughs> like what to what point does it reverse? Because that would that would sort of identify the height of humanity, right? It, it, so you could go back and you could look and say, okay, this is the ideal age, which is an interesting thing from a physical standpoint. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what you're getting at is that even if you could do that, you know, even if all of this stuff, which is purely hypothetical at this point, were possible, yeah. there's still that accumulation of psychological and social interactions that can't be undone. You wouldn't want it to be undone. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what effect that accumulation has past the current human lifespan. So let's say I have the body of a 26-year-old forever. We don't know what happens when you accumulate psychological and social experiences past the age of 110 or 115 or so on and so forth. We don't. So that body might, you might have that body, but that does not make you a 26-year-old. You're going to be a vastly different person from anybody who's ever existed. Yep. And there's there's the, the basis of so much really fine speculative fiction both in visual arts and in in literature uh first we've, we've got two models that we can think of and, and one is a 20th century short story and one that was made into a film and 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 one is an, an ancient folk tale and the, the, so there's benjamin button living backward there's also merlin who starts out ancient and lives to be very young so we've got that. Then we've got the idea, well, I'm 26, but I'm really 103. Well, the, 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 now we've got the Thor model, that, or we've got uh, the endless stories about uh, secret immortals who go around and try to help the world, but, they're, but they keep losing everybody. Uh, the vampire stories. Yeah, fine, I'll keep living, but I have to keep moving because people realize that I'm not aging and I finally have to disappear and then I have to start over again. What does that do to relationships? And how many times can you be married, have children, and watch those children die before you say, gee, I'm lucky, I'm immortal. Don't I get tired of of, of, of this cycle? And, and then I think of the story of, of Gilgamesh, the most... <laughs> Probably, arguably, one of the most ancient stories that we have. Who has this? This is a complicated story, but he has this friend who, because of a battle they engage in, uh, knows he's going to die. The friend dies, and Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh uh, spends a significant amount of time in mourning for himself, seeking immortality because he can't imagine going through what his friend went through. That's such an instructive tale because he goes to literally to the land of death and he talks to Utnapishtim, who is who is the, the pre-Christian Noah, <laughs> um, who, who goes through the flood and survives and is sort of sitting on a mountainside saying, you don't want this. You, you don't know what you're asking for. This is not a blessing. Mm. Um, so I think we've we've embedded in our tales back to the beginning of tale telling a cautionary thing about immortality. So yeah, man. All right, we're getting into the real stuff that I that I like looking at. So I mean, it, you could 
now we're we're like psychonautic Indiana Jones here, right? <laughs> we're back at the beginning of of human literature, looking at the first stories, yes, and trying to decipher these tales, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think the message is there? Because immortality was not something that was achievable back then. It wasn't even on the horizon of possibility. So what do you think the message is in that story? Well, well to me, reread, because, you know, I, I reread literature over a, a span of time because you revisit it. Any story you revisit as you get older is going to say fresh things to you if it's a worthwhile tale. And I think it's saying, not only be careful what you wish for, but ask yourself why you're wishing for this what are you so afraid of which leaps us from gilgamesh to to some of the like a philosopher such as epicurus who was one of the first philosophers that we know of who said why so we've talked about this before why why are you so worried about dying when you're dead you won't know you're dead (laughs) and when you're alive you can't know what it's like to be dead so quit worrying about it when it happens you're not going to know it. Mm. Now, the, the, that, that sort of excludes the, the however difficult the process is from one right. port to the other. But still, I, then I, then we leap into, oh, well, we're not talking about physical immortality. We're talking about spiritual immortality. So we tell our immortality tales about how whatever moralistic and behavioristic way, you, whatever you accept, somehow that's, that's your, then you'll always be alive. Okay, but my physical body won't be. No, but your soul will be. What does that mean? We're talking about these things, and we don't even know what this means. People can't even define what soul means still, mm-hmm. right? I'm not making little of this. I'm many, many, many people of, of faith, and 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 I and I honor that. But we don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, and you know, <clears throat> we talked about it at the very beginning of the episode. You know, when we're thinking about aging. It seems pretty apparent that there's something more than the physical and the psychological that can't be put in place. Um, And that's why it leaves it open to the the speculation and the philosophy of what it means to other people. Well, maybe that means that something beyond the physical and the psychological exists. exists. Or maybe it's, you know... Which would be fascinating and wondrous and an adventure. That we can't possibly conceive of because look at what we couldn't conceive of nine months ago in our mundane, ordinary lives. You know, mm-hmm. we, we can't possibly foresee. We can have everybody tell us what it's like. Yeah, right? Like you were there? No. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's not. And I know there are people who've written books that they, they, they saw a glimpse and... and Right. Okay. Again, yeah. take a glimpse of the mountains in Colorado and tell me what you saw in two seconds, and then we'll. So yeah, it's it's um, it's and then it, it takes us. To, I think for me, it, it just takes us back to the. We can't conceive of ourselves no longer existing because it's just. How could I not exist? Well, very easily. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah, and, and it creates other interesting questions, right? Because, um, immortality is not. A fairy tale because there are creatures that are immortal yes we so that creates an entirely other interesting (laughs) yeah yeah it creates an entirely other interesting aspect to it we know of a hydra which is essentially um a relative of a jellyfish Mm -hmm. which 
it just goes through its life cycle repeatedly. Yep. It never dies. It just grows old, and then it grows young, and then it grows old, and it grows young. And there's no end to this process. And there's other um, organisms that do a very similar thing. So this this brings us into, you know, philosophizing about um, kind of the process of of evolution, right? If that's mm-hmm. if that's the the paradigm that you follow, you look at it and you say, okay, well, why would evolution? Right about the time that sexual and asexual reproduction diverged, mm-hmm. why was it suddenly decided that sexually reproducting organisms would not be immortal? It would be acceptable to just pass on your genetics to uh, an offspring and then to become disposable. You know, mm-hmm. and of course, obviously, you can't attribute <laughs> personal characteristics to uh, a process. No, you know? no, it's it's a blind process. But but it but it's a, because there's that in in ineluctable human need to understand everything. <laughs> And we want to, even though we can't, because we don't have enough time to understand everything. But even if we did, I don't know that we could, mm. because the universe is infinite after all. So, <laughs> but there's got to be a reason, right? Right. There's so got to be a reason. There's got to be a reason that I can't reverse myself and become a, a, an immortal hydra. Right? <laughs> uh, it, if I could just do this. And I think our tales, you asked that about going, going back to the very beginning. Uh, I think maybe because uh, it's not a simple moralistic tale of the Gilgamesh or any of the rest of them, but I, but I think part of it is to say why are you afraid of this? Why? What makes you? It's a psychological thing. What makes you afraid of this? Um, what makes you want always to be here? And are you thinking about the the repercussions of that? And that's what science fiction ends up doing. What, so suppose in, in a world that we, I don't think, will ever know, where such a process would be made available to everyone from the poorest person right. up. Uh, no. <laughs> no. So some people will be immortal and some won't. And we've seen lots of iterations of that in storytelling. But But even if everyone were... What are we going to do? Because we've got a planet that we've already wrecked that we're going to have to figure out how to reshape and live with into a a, a new way. We can't go back and have the planet that we had. Mm -hmm. No matter how many naysayers there are, we can get. So so we we find different ways to feed people and so on. But what if everybody could live to be 150 and be like 26 and then then they, they, they telomere does its thing and we're done? All right. Food, water, space, quality of life, um, implications. If you could know your great, 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 great grandfather. In fact, he was sitting at the table with you all. Imagine one of the, you sit with your grandfather, <laughs> and no matter what your relationship is, and you sometimes you say, "Okay, enough, grandpa. I gotta go out and have my own life." What if he had four generations of grandparents sitting with you, telling you what you should do, and this is how you should, and this is how? And what if they looked younger than you do? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Well, then we go out to space. Okay, well, I'm a science fiction person. I'm a space exploration person. Yeah. Carrying our model outward, right? 
exploiting every other place and making sure that we can just keep replicating ourselves because we're just doing what our DNA does. Mm-hmm. We're just standing around to watch what happened. <laughs> and, if we do that kind of immortality. Yeah, and there's sort of a parallel, right? We were just talking about, you know, um, why we're not immortal, you know, and how we pass on our DNA to offspring and then we die. We're kind of the planets in that scenario, right? Life is life is us, you know. Life continues on, well traveling out now, now, and it just leaves in its wake broken, dying people or broken, dying planets. Mm-hmm. It's that the replication is all that matters, the continuance, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it creates a really interesting, um, a real interesting dynamic with relationships of any kind, but especially familial ones, like you said, because. You know, if you were to reverse aging and everybody comes back to that, I, that ideal age, you know, what does that do to mentors or, you know, older people, like you said, because that is, that's, that's a combination of things. It's not just the experiences, right? If you had your great, great grandfather, he's had more experiences than you, but like we're saying, if he still is, you know, physically a capable person and he still has the hormonal influence of a younger person, whatnot, he might not be willing to be a mentor to you the way that an mm-hmm. older, yes. an older grandfather. Is, yes, you know? exactly. Because of that, that, that there's that, that process again. And, and see, this takes us back to the spiritual because I'm just sitting here thinking while you're talking about the broken planets and everything. Well, but isn't it efficient if our shell breaks and we have a soul, if such a thing happens and our energy is out there, our, our being, which has no mass, which has no, you know, what we can't conceive of, but, but there it is. Um, well, that's a lot more efficient. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take resources. It's, you know. <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, an even bigger question is, so you have, you know, this grandfather, and he might not be willing to be a mentor so much mm-hmm. as a competitor mm-hmm. under certain circumstances. If you could actually achieve full mortality, then there's no reason to have children at all right yep. if you have the expectation that you can live forever at a current at why should i extend my genes because i've got them myself and yeah <laughs> and, that, and that that is i think that's something that humans would struggle with right so let's say hypothetical scenario immortality becomes possible re- a reversing aging becomes possible you have a whole planet full of 20 something year old people it continues this way indefinitely um the governments say we have limited resources we can't um really for this so everybody has to be sterilized mm-hmm. nobody else can have children mm-hmm. i think that's going to create um psychological conflict because that's built into your dna right there's going to be some people that say well no i but i have i have a need to nurture a child yeah. right yeah. i have this this need to do this thing so you find somebody whose ideal age was six yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and you're going to just and you adopt them you adopt them I, it's, it's, I, yeah it's a real problem because i think what it and i think what it invariably would do or quite possibly would do uh, is create a, a planet full of utter narcissists well I'm around forever. I get to just enjoy everything I want to because, but does immortal in the sense of aging, not aging anymore. The stories have done lots of this too. Does that make you impervious right. <laughs> or invincible? Gee, maybe I can still be cut and 
get an infection and die. Right. <laughs> Even if I'm 26, but I'm really 108. Yeah, you get in a car accident. You get in a car accident. You know, so <laughs> you know there's still going to be wars. <laughs> Probably more than ever because if people are so caught up with their bodies being, think that there's this element too. You call you. It's, it, it's the interesting thing is that a while in gang fights in high school cafeterias and fights and food fights and 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 from so I just went from the grim to the goofy. But those things are caused by young people, mostly. Wars aren't, mm. mostly. So even if you're 26, but you have the mindset of somebody who's 70 or 80, and you think, oh, I know how the world should be, and I will shape it in my own way, uh, there's the narcissism again, but there's also the cause of even more destructiveness yeah there's a whole interplay of factors that you know really make the entire thing pretty a pretty interesting concept look at the greek gods we talked about them if they are all middle-aged or younger mm -hmm. and they cause humans to war all the time why because we just want to see what happens if the whole planet was that way mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah so yeah so I, that was a fun discussion we talked about you know some of the the uh, kind of tangible aspects, um, some of the intangible aspects, some of the uh, kind of far out scientific aspects. Um, I think let's close it down by discussing the issue of ageism, which I think is kind of the the answer to a lot of the problems we've talked about. Right. Yeah. When we think about Gilgamesh not wanting to die or, you know, this constant scientific pursuit of you know, increasing lifespan or decreasing these sorts of things. Yeah. It, it really comes back to the fear of growing old, right? Mm -hmm. And how, how does that manifest in, in our society and in our culture? If we are fearful of growing old, when we see somebody who's old, we don't want to see somebody who's old as much as we used to see them because they're scary. And so we've, not we, everybody, but but I think there's an element of marginalizing. Well, they can't be as good as they once were, or they, can, they think as well as they once did, and therefore they have no use to me because there's that, that utility thing. What use are you to me mm. if you're in this condition? Which is kind of ugly. <laughs> um, but ageism is partly based on that and based on the need to get people out of the way so to speak because that's what we talk about everything in this culture i'll get this out of the way i take this class and get it out of the way <laughs> you you i think i did it to your class way back but i but i i, I frequently have used this uh, talked about this so, so we talk about everything getting I, I heard people time and again say well i had my kids and got that out of the way and I finally picked up on that in my philosophy classes and said to students, okay, so if you got your courses out of the way and you got your kids out of the way, and, and, and so what happens to you when there's no more things to get out of the way? If everything was an obstacle, what were you pushing everything aside for? Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you're, you're, you're born and, and your culture is giving you a checklist. Yeah. And at some point, I think you have to question whose best interest the checklist is in. Oh, yes. Right? <laughs> oh, yes. And, and ageism would apply 
I mean, I think all of us have the capacity, just as all of us have moments when we're racist. Uh, you know, Abraham uh, Kendi uh, says this, he, that it's not that you're just a racist. It's just that each of us has moments when we can, when we, when we slip, when we don't think, when we, you know. And I think that's a much more progressive idea because it's, it's flexible and you can say, no, wait a minute, I can stop this. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing is true with, with ageism. I mean, frankly, there are, there's much a part of me. And as I say, I'm 62. I, I think people younger than I am probably ought to be world leaders. Uh, somebody who's 74, somebody who's 79. <clears throat> they're, they're, they've much to contribute. My dad's 82. My friend is 82. Much to contribute to this, to this living that we do. But I don't necessarily want them in the command chair Mm. uh, because of maybe a set of ideas that may be too set. And I already feel in mind. That's why I need to keep being challenged. There's this, your tree bark is getting rougher and thicker and you feel it. (laughs) And it's like Tolkien's ants, marching trees. You have to keep shedding that. So I think there's an ageism that's built in even to those of us who are aging. And and the only way to counter that is to keep asking the questions you talked about toward the beginning, which is all right, so but but how are you alive? What are what are you contributing? What are you experiencing? That can help all of us to know things. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. And I feel like that's a good note to leave us on. So um you know, this this discussion leads into a lot of different other stuff that I'm sure we'll cover sometime down the road. Um, you know, we've we've talked about death in the past. Maybe we do something on, um, you know, the idea of the soul or the afterlife or something and look at different, phys- you know, philosophical paradigms or something. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll see where we go in the future. But uh, until next time, keep pondering.